All right, would you go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 37. This morning we're going to continue our series on the book of Isaiah. It's a major prophet and, you know, I'm just really thrilled that you guys are here. So stoked that you are here to, to get some fellowship, get into the Word, and uh, worship the Lord, our God. Uh, you know, I was just thinking about it. Man, if COVID, global pandemic happened 25 years ago, I don't think we'd be able to have church and have online church. We'd probably be stuck at our home 250 years ago. 2,500 years ago, if we had a global pandemic, we would not be able to do church. But as it is, God allows and redeems technology that we're able to have online church. So if you're glad and if you're blessed, uh, go ahead and chat in your, type in your chat box, amen. All right, there's going to be a little pop-up that says, I'm blessed to be enjoying online church. Um, go ahead and type that in. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had... One of our young adults who are a leader in the youth ministry, uh, you know, enjoying the whole online experience. And he chatted, he usually checks in and he puts, so stoned for church today. And when I first looked at it, stoned, I was like, oh, I think he meant to say stoked. And I was like, don't you, we're so stoked that you joined us today. And the funny thing is, you know, the autocorrect, he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I was texting while I was driving and, and I accidentally put uh, N instead of a K. I was like, isn't predictive uh, texting, isn't, doesn't it get an algorithm of what you usually type, you know? So he meant to put stoked, but he put stoned. But anyways, all that to say is that we are so stoked that you are here to do online church this morning. Isaiah chapter 37, not only have your Bibles today, but right now, could you pull out your phone, okay, and pull out a pen and paper, or your iPad or your computer, the things that you, your journal, something that you usually write with. And as we talk about Finding rest while under pressure. Finding rest while under pressure. Let me ask you, what pressure or stresses are you carrying to church this morning? What has been weighing down on your thoughts? What has been bogging your anxiety and you're just carrying it? And even during worship, you're still thinking about the pressure and the stress that you're carrying to church this morning. I want you to write down three stresses or pressures that you're having right now, okay? And as you're thinking, as you're writing down, let me give you some idea. It could be relational. It may have to do with a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's raising a child or maybe raising children or maybe it could be looking after and caring for your parents, elderly parents who are older. Maybe it's financial. It's a job that you have. It's unstable. You're not working as much and the hours aren't quite there. Or maybe you don't have a job right now and you may be furloughed and that's just weighing you down. It's stressing you out. 
Maybe it's an addiction or a character flaw that you just cannot seem to change inside of you. Maybe it could be the stress or the pressure of a health issue. Maybe some anxiety or pain inside of you that you can't, just like a thorn inside of your heart that you just can't get rid of, you can't shake off. Maybe you're a student. You have paper, you have an exam or a research paper due. Maybe it's just the amount of workload that you're doing and you're bogged down and you're weighed down by that stress. It may be a decision. You have to make it in the near future. It has a time deadline. Or you could be in the season right now, transition, that you're moving and you're transitioning and it's going to have an immediate, immediate effect on your future. It may be a financial pressure that your savings are leaning in and that you're really dipping into your credit line just to make ends meet. Maybe you're thinking about your future a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Maybe it has to do with your marriage or a relationship. Maybe it's singleness. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe you're in a friendship. Whatever it is, write those three things down that is... Um, pressure to you right now or stress and with that in mind let's read Isaiah chapter 37 okay Isaiah chapter 37 verse 14 we'll jump down to verse 14 uh, before we actually go there I want to give us some context actually in Isaiah chapter 36 you see in Isaiah chapter 36 this great king Hezekiah, the king of Judah, he's in the middle or in the midst of a siege, under siege, kind of like the movie with uh, Steven Seagal. No, it has nothing to do with that. Laying a siege means that a city is trapped, no one in, no one out. You could survive for a little bit for a while if you're independent, if you have crops, if you have um, water, and if you have toiletry, but after a while, if you're sieged and you're under siege in the city, no one in, no one out, you begin to run out of food, run out of water. And, you know, there's instances during sieges where there's cannibalism, uh, parents eating their own children, and it gets pretty bad. And there's a great army, the greatest army during that time called the Assyrians, and they were about to invade the fortified city of Jerusalem, Assyrian conquered many, many countries from Egypt. And now uh, they just took over the northern kingdom. Remember, Israel was split in two. And they're coming down. They overtook Lachish. Lachish, the city, it's a fortified city. It's almost like the Pentagon or Washington, D.C. It's like this strong army. Over here, it'd be like, you know, Fort Shafter or Schofield, like this army town. That's what happened to Lachish. It got overtaken by uh, the Assyrian army and specifically King Sennacherib. And so King Sennacherib, he's about to overtake Jerusalem. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to lay siege to this city. It would cost too much money. It would take too much work. It would take too much time. So he sends a delegate to King Hezekiah and and the delegate goes to, hey, King Hezekiah, just give up now. It's a waste of time. 
why do you put so much trust in your God? It's actually your God that told us we're going to defeat you. He says, you know, you know what? You're looking at Egypt. We already conquered Egypt. You know, if we were to give you 2,000 horses, you guys can't even, you guys don't even have enough people. I have 185,000 soldiers surrounding this. Why don't you just give up now? And can you feel the pressure? And the representative told King Hezekiah, the, the king of Judah, God's people, he says, if you don't surrender, man, you will eat your own excrement and drink your own urine. Like, this will be bad for you. Just surrender now. So can you feel the, the pressure that's happening and the stress that the people of God are going through? So that's Isaiah 36. Now let's jump to verse 37. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers. He read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. This is the word of the Lord. The pressure is on the Syrian army has just invaded, plundered, conquered, raped, pillaged many, many countries, even the northern tribe of Israel. But now they have this one city in Jerusalem and they're being threatened and the pressure is on. So in Isaiah chapter 37 verses 14 to 20, we see four things here of how to find rest while under pressure. See, King Hezekiah doesn't react, but he responds to the pressure around him. Six times in Isaiah chapter 36, this guy says, this representative for Assyria says, why do you keep trusting or putting your confidence? Trust God, trust God, trust God, trust God. He's not gonna, why do you rest in God? We're about to invade you, and you're about to be a conquered people. So King Hezekiah, he does four things so that he experiences rest as the people of God. Number one, the first thing he does is this. Would you write this down? Remain connected to God. Remain connected to God. Let's look at verse 14. Hezekiah he received the letter from the messengers and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, spread it before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. He remained connected to God. 
And what he does here first is that he goes to the sanctuary. He goes to the temple and he, he goes before the Lord and he spreads out the letter. He unrolls the scroll. It's like, look, God, this is what's happening. And he finds his true north. He finds, King Hezekiah does, he finds and he defaults to God. He remains connected in God. He makes a choice to stay connected to the living God. See, what happens if the pressure is that when there's pressure in our lives, it strips us of a lot of things. It strips, of, it strips us of non-essentials, a sense of false self, and sometimes we get freaked out and we panic. And we don't think often about God. And the closer that we draw close to God, under pressure and tribulation, the more that we're grounded in hope and in confidence. What King Hezekiah does here is in what Jesus says in John chapter 15, right? Remain in me, abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That Hezekiah makes prayer his breath. That Hezekiah, he remains connected. He makes a home in his relationship with God. He wasn't, um, he was honest. He's like, Lord, here are the letters. He laid it out on the temple and he prays unto the Lord. You know, there are, there are satanic powers that are against you. From our devotions yesterday, right? In Job chapter 1, that Hasatan, the Satan, Satan there in the Hebrew, it's not the proper name, but Ha, it's a definite article meaning the Satan. In other words, Satan has a function and his function is to accuse the brethren. Revelation chapter 12 says that day and night, the accuser of the brethren, he points, he condemns, he accuses brothers and sisters of Christ. Just like he does with, with Job. Job, he tells God, hey God, look at, look at this guy. He, he's only blessing you because you protected him and you blessed him. Everything he's touched, you blessed. If you take away his health, he's going to curse you to your face. God said, okay, you could touch him, but just don't lay your hand on him and don't kill him. What Satan does is if we're not connected to God, if, we're not, if we don't remain in God, the accusations come in heavy. There are satanic powers at work in the culture that wants to cut you off, that wants to isolate you. And the remaining in a life of communion with the living God is in jeopardy. He brings a Satan brings a legal accusation to accuse you day and night. He sends lies and misinformation to misrepresent God, much like the spokesperson for the Assyrian Empire. He's like, hey, God's not for you. God doesn't listen for you. Look at your life. 
Look at all the problems that you have. This is going to be a disaster. Why would a loving God allow this to happen? If God was so good and all powerful, why are we going through a pandemic right now? God is not really seated. He's not really on the throne. Look at all the suffering around you. Look at all the joint opportunities you're missing out in life. You're a bum, man. You're worthless. You're unlovable. That's why this is happening. You're not a good Christian. You're not a good parent. You're not a good daughter. You're not a good son. You're not a good leader. You don't deserve to be in leadership. And you think you're really a Christian and you're cursed and you look at all the bad things and all the voices and all the accusations until you come home and realize that you are the beloved son and daughter of Christ. Ephesians 1, 3-14, that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That God leaves you, does not leave you lacking. That he who did not spare his own son, how much more will he freely give us all things? That Jesus is a good shepherd, he is everything that you need. This is who God is. Remain connected to him when we speak. Spend time with God when we remain connected. You and I, we have a choice every morning, every day, either to draw closer to God or to draw away from God. You have two choices. There's no the same, right? We either grow closer or we draw farther back from God. Would you make a choice and would you be deliberate to spend time Devote yourself to God's word. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to the fellowship of the saints. Number two, would you write down, acknowledge reality in your life. Let me repeat that. Acknowledge reality in your life. Look at Isaiah chapter 37, verse 17 and 18. Here's his prayer. Give ear, Lord, and hear, open and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Look at verse 18. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste of all the people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they are not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. If you want to experience rest while in the midst of pressure come to God remain connected to God but also acknowledge reality if you've gone through trauma in your life where relationships have been severed where you have been betrayed where there's gossip and slander if you've experienced loss of a relationship, if you've experienced suffering in health, acknowledge that. I love how, what is truth? Truth is something that reflects reality. It's the truth, Jesus said, if you abide in the truth, the truth will set you free. You don't suppress 
your feelings, but you come before God with your feelings. Lord, this is how I'm feeling. This is what happened. There's no denial. And he repeats how bad it really is that he's completely surrounded. You see, you and I, we live in two worlds. We live in a world of what we believe, in a world of what we feel. And they must coexist. Just because you have faith, it does not mean that your faith conquers and completely absolves your feelings. Remember the disciples, Lord, help our unbelief. What we want to happen is that our faith and what we believe is greater than what we feel. We acknowledge what we feel. We acknowledge the hurts that we're going through. We acknowledge the suffering, the loss, the stress that we're under, the pressure, the anxiety that we're going through. That's why David in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus lived in that reality. That's why even at the cross, Jesus quotes David, this Psalm of disorientation, where this, he's disoriented, he's going through chaos and calamity, his world is shaken, he doesn't know what to do, and it's okay to not be okay. Bring it before the Lord, come before God. Number three, would you write down uh, King Hezekiah, which we can learn is seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. In verse 21, Isaiah sent a message to, or King Hezekiah goes to Isaiah. Remember, it was Solomon who said, the wisest person next to Christ, who said that the wise person, in order to make right decisions, that we need to invite other people in the process. We'll just uh, jet through these. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. If you want to be wise, listen to godly advice. Look at 1522. Plans fail for a lack of counsel. Have you ever made plans? Have they failed? Maybe you made plans and you didn't seek counsel. You didn't seek another opinion, another perspective from a godly person that has more experience than you. Look at Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. You know, a majority of the people that I know get messes in their life that they would not have gotten into if they just invited other people into their process whether it's in a relationship with someone or making a financial decision or a business decision, seek wise counsel. Seek godly counsel. This is what King Hezekiah does. He goes to see Isaiah. See, bad counsel, um, it can happen. And the most well-intentioned people can give you bad counsel. The classic case is Rehoboam, right? He 
the kingdom of Israel divides from north and south because he took bad advice. He listened to the younger, inexperienced, proud peers instead of to the elderly, those who were older. And how do you know you're choosing right counsel or right people for advice? You want to choose the right people. Or the right people are those who have nothing to lose by telling you the truth. They have no skin. They have no dog in the fight. They have no skin in the game. They just want the best for you, and they want and they love you, and they have nothing to lose by telling you the truth. There's a book by a leadership guru, um, Bobby Clinton, who co-wrote it with Paul Stanley, and it's called "Connecting: The Mentoring Relationships You Need to Succeed in Life," and they present what they call a leadership constellation and basically uh, giving you the cliff notes version here a leadership constellation is is important because at all times we need to have a 360 degree view of our life 360 degrees but as it is because we're limited we only see 180 degrees of our life therefore we need to surround ourselves with these mentoring relationships. And he gives us uh, four relationships, Clinton and um, Stanley. One is upward, okay? This is under seeking wise counsel. You need to have a mentor in your life that at least is 10 years older than you or way more wise than you, has way more life experience than you, has, which means they've made a lot of mistakes and they can tell you what not to do as well as what, what to do. So you need a mentor in your life, an upward mentor. You need exemplars. You need to surround yourself and pray, Lord, is there someone who could mentor me in whether you're doing real estate, whether you're doing um, financing, whether you're like a, I'm a pastor, I, I have a mentor that I look to that I make a connection with on a monthly basis, um, almost a weekly basis that I could connect and have him speak into my life. We need an upward mentor. Secondly, uh, to the right, my right, is we need one of those iron sharpened iron uh, peers that are on the inside, meaning they're with you, they're in, the, you're in, they're in your circle, uh, you're about the same age, same life stage, same area, but they're, they're in the circle with you and they could see, not just your point of view, but they could see a different point of view, but you're in the same circle. It's the inside, iron sharpens iron on the inside. On the left of that, you need another iron sharpened iron, you need a peer that's on the outside that could give you a way better perspective of not just how your church is doing, not how your family's doing, but they could see it, you know, maybe they're off island or in the mainland, whatever it is, but they're kind of outside. They're not in your inner circle per se with your same friends, okay? So you have upward, you have peers that are on the outside, on the inside, and lastly, wise counsel, 
is you need a downward mentor, that you need someone that you need to pour into, someone that's younger, someone that you could share your life experience with so that you could uh, remind yourself of the lessons that you've learned, okay? Number four, we'll go ahead and close with this. Wait for God's deliverance. To trust God is to wait on God. Look at King Hezekiah's prayer in verse 20. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. King Hezekiah reveals all his cards. He remains connected to God in prayer. He acknowledges reality of what he's going through. He seeks wise counsel in Isaiah, and now he just waits. He leaves it there. He's not looking for explanations. He's not looking for strategies. He's not looking uh, for justification. He's not looking for an answer. It says, Lord, deliver us. He's just worshiping God in the temple. He's in love. He's in gratitude. He's holding that space before God and waits. And all in, and all in one night, God hears and he slays 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in the process of one night. It's a supernatural event. No one sees it, nor is it explained, but God strikes. And that's God's MO. That's his modus operandi, right? That God intervenes, that Jesus was in the tomb for three days, but on the third day, God resurrects Jesus from the dead. God invades history. history. If you look at the seasons of waiting of in people's lives, Moses, 80 years, Jesus, 30 years before he did his public ministry. Look at Psalm 62, verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence, and from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Waiting and silence are two virtues that are antithetical in our culture of now and noise. We want things now and we are vocally expressive about it. We're like Karens. I wanted to see your manager. <laughs> Yet for King David, this is how salvation, hope comes. It's waiting in silence. That's how God demonstrates and reaffirms to David that he alone is his rock, his salvation, his glory, and his refuge. I need you to hear me out. The act of waiting for God is not passive inactivity of idleness, but it's a deliberate choice to cease from striving so that you could trust God to work. We wait and we rest so that God can act and he could move. Why wait? 
We wait because it means God will show up and he's going to bring salvation. Why be silent? Because it means that God speaks and we need to hear him. Okay, remember the things that we wrote down? I wrote in here in my Evernote three things that I'm stressed about, pressure that I'm carrying. And I want us to right now make your living room, make your car, make your kitchen, make that as a sacrifice, lay it down, just like King Hezekiah. Lord, you see this letter from Sennacherib, they're gonna destroy us. It is true, this is, and you lay it down before God. And as we lay it down, we're going to close with Isaiah chapter 30, verse 13. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Would you bring your pressures, your stress, your anxious thoughts that you're carrying to church this morning? Bring it whether it's your iPad, your notepad, your phone, your tablet, piece of paper, bring it before God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to the altar, O oh Lord God, and we lay down everything. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to come those all who are weary and heavily laden and I will give you rest come to me for I am gentle and lowly in spirit and we do thank you father that you're gentle that you're meek that you're humble that you're worthy of our pressures you're worthy of our anxieties you're worthy of our stress so Lord as we lay them down before you right now we pray that we would experience rest that we would experience this salvation that comes from you. Lord, would you reaffirm our confidence in you, Jesus. Lord, we breathe in your grace and we exhale anything that's not of you. Unbelief, distrust, work of the flesh, and we wait on you this morning. Lord, so would you fight our battles would you go before us? Would your spirit precede us in everything that we do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys. Well, we appreciate you for joining us for church today. Just wanted to say that we love you. And you guys have an amazing week. Take care.